Welcome to Lift Your Legacy. My name is Jacob Rupp, father, husband, and rabbi. And each week, we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you unlock your inner potential and create change that will impact the future. Thank you for listening, and let's get to it. Thank you so much for joining me today on Lift Your Legacy Podcast. I have someone that you will absolutely love. His name is Joe Apfelbaum. And the first time I heard him, he was on a friend's podcast. And I was like, man, who is this guy? Well, Joe is the CEO of Ajax Union, a B2B digital marketing agency based out of Brooklyn, New York, business strategist, marketing expert. He has podcasts. He has like 500 plus YouTube videos about taking entrepreneurs from frustrated to motivated. And on top of it, you know, here he is in the business space and all of a sudden he loses a hundred pounds. He starts speaking about energy and energy secrets and all the time while his wife is a very popular uh, cookbook uh, author and does all kinds of stuff in the eating market. He's he's Jewish, he's got, he's got five kids, orthodox, he's, you know, the family life, everything, it's crazy when you're watching all the amazing things that he does. So I'm, I'm absolutely thrilled to have him on my show to pick his brain a little bit about how he became the entrepreneur he did, why he's now focused on helping other entrepreneurs, why he feels LinkedIn is such an important platform to do that, and everything that comes into the various components of life and health and energy and and just living a life of, of meaning and contribution. So I, I know I, I got so much out of this conversation. I know that you will love it. And please feel free to reach out to Joe, reach out to me. Let us know how we can better serve you, how we can help you. Joe has an amazing um, product where he where he helps teach you how to get better at LinkedIn. And if you have a product or service, you need to be good at LinkedIn. Um, and so I, I could I, I can't highly encourage you enough to sit back, relax, to take out a piece of paper or get your notes ready because you're going to learn a lot today. Joe, thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate it. Please, can you give me a little bit of background? You you seem to have spanned the gamut from LinkedIn and marketing to the health world and having lost like ten thousand pounds. Start like start at the beginning. Like, where did your entrepreneurial bug come from? So if you take a look at me in the beginning, where I came from. I just came from a humble home where my mother and my father and my were, were one of six and very humble. My parents didn't really have a lot of money. My father worked like a regular nine to five job. And one day my mother was just fed up. She's like, I'm just done. I'm done, done, done with living in a basement with six kids and I need to do something. So she decided she was going to open up a store in the Lower East Side. And I was like, all right, do it, go. And my father's like- how, how old were you at this time? I was like, you know, 10 or something, Okay. right? So she decides she's gonna open up a store in the Lower East Side. Maybe I was eight or nine or whatever. She decides to go up in a store in the Lower East Side. I'm like, okay, let me see what happens here. And over the next 10 years, I watched her struggle, trying to, op- trying to like make a living. And she made a better living than what my father was making nine to five. And she was able to put us through school and camps and all the other, you know, very expensive lifestyle that we have as a very large ultra-Orthodox family. And, but eventually she went out of business. So when I was, after 9-11, I saw her go out of business and I was like, what did she do? Like, what happened over there? Like, she tried so hard. She worked so hard, 16 hours a day, leaving really early, coming back home really late, worked on Sundays, worked Saturday night sometimes. And it was just like, never ending, never ending. And eventually she went out of business and she never crossed the million dollar mark. 
I never knew that like back then, but now looking back, I was like, Ma, how much money were you making a month? And she's like, on a good month, we made 60,000. On a terrible month, we made nothing or we lost money. So I was like, wow, it's like so interesting to watch. And then I'd look at statistics and 96% of business owners are doing less than a million dollars in revenue. So how was it that when I went all in on one business called Ajax Union, which I'm currently running, how is it that in 18 months I was able to grow it to be a million dollars and within three years to be one of the fastest growing companies in the United States? And so I asked myself that question and I realized that it all has to do with the self-limiting beliefs that my mother had and that many small business owners have around three core areas, which is luck, trust, and change. So luck, thinking that they don't need a strategy and they're just hoping for the best and hope is a great thing. It's just not a great strategy. If you ask anybody that's doing less than a million dollars in annual sales, what's your plan? What's your strategy? And if they actually want to get over a million dollars in sales, typically they don't have a plan. You say, how much money do you want to make? They say as much as possible. And as much as possible is not going to get you very far because if you don't know where you're going, you're not going to get there. So who am I? What is my humble beginnings? I'm just like a person who is the average Joe that learned how to be the CEO by trial and error, by being super curious and super creative and trying to find a better way to do everything that I do. So initially, I was just a web designer. I was an IT guy. And then eventually, I built websites for people. They said, if you build it, they will come. So I built hundreds of websites for people and nobody came. So you had to market it. So I had to learn how to reverse engineer the search engine called Google in order to send traffic to people's websites in a growth hacking way, because a lot of the people I was dealing with didn't have money for advertising. So I had to learn how to become an SEO expert and I became an SEO expert. And now I'm teaching people how to leverage LinkedIn because we're highly invested in B2B and in relationships. And I personally am generating millions of dollars a year from leveraging the power of LinkedIn. And I want to teach people how to do that. So that's where I'm focused on reverse engineering the organic reach of LinkedIn. And that's kind of like where I'm up to right now. That's outstanding. Tell me a little bit about that whole process with LinkedIn and, and what someone who might not be so prevalent on LinkedIn or sort of just uses it and connects with a couple people. How do you really see the role of LinkedIn and what are some strategies that business people can use in order to get the maximum bang for their buck? So in terms of LinkedIn, I would say if relationships are important to your business, then LinkedIn must be a critical part of your business. What does that mean? If you need to network, if you need to get referrals, and you might say, who doesn't need to get referrals? Well, to tell you the truth, somebody that has a retail shop on Kingston Avenue that sells girls' clothing, they don't need to have referrals. Somebody that has a bakery doesn't need your referrals. Come in, buy your hot rolls, and leave. That's it, right? They have a transactional storefront. But if you're a lawyer, if you're an accountant, if you're a business coach, if you're a real estate agent, if you're a mortgage broker, if you have an agency, if you're professional services, and you need to have referrals. Your business grows or dies based on the referrals that you get. LinkedIn is the best place for you to establish relationships with people, not to sell, but to build relationships so that they send you business. I don't know how many connections you have, but the average CEO has 930 connections on LinkedIn. The thing is, they don't know 50% of those connections. They have no idea who they are. They just connected to random strangers. And the maximum amount of connections that you can have on LinkedIn is 30,000. But when I look around and I see how many people have posted on LinkedIn over the past day, I'll notice that less than a million people post each day, yet there are over 600 million people on LinkedIn. So if you take a look at your own connections and you click on search and you click on content and you look at 24 hours and your first connections and you identify who actually updated in your first connections, you'll notice that it's probably less than... 1% of your connections. If, you're, if you're connected 
to let's say a thousand people, you're probably gonna have less than one-tenth of 1% 1 of your connections actually updated something in the past 24 hours. Go check yourself and you'll see that. So if you wanna stay top of mind, the most important thing that you can do on LinkedIn, the most actionable thing that I can tell you is post once a day. And if, you, if you're not posting because you don't have time, I'll say that you're not managing your priorities properly or you don't understand the value of LinkedIn or you just don't have a strategy. Just like my mother didn't have a strategy and she went out of business, the hope is a great thing, but it's not a great strategy. And most people are doing random acts of networking on LinkedIn. And I say that's not going to get you very far because the right strategy will save you a decade. And energy without strategy is literally a waste of time. So don't just go on LinkedIn and do stuff without a strategy. Set yourself a plan. So just to, to go on to that, and I think it is, it is absolutely fascinating because a lot of people are trying to figure out how to hack Instagram or Snapchat. And you're right, LinkedIn is kind of this, this, this space where people are very inactive. So a couple of practical questions about that. First of all, do you find a certain um, medium works? Is video better than writing? Obviously, if you're terrible as a writer and you're great on video, then do that. But do you think that it matters? Should you kind of like stag, you know, um, use different approaches? One day you're doing audio, one day you're doing video, one day you're linking an article. Like what are some of those processes that you do personally for your business or that you help other people do? So I actually have a three-step process over here that I, oh, wow. that I came up with. And if you want to see the actual process, you can go to socialselling.com, social selling without the G at the end, social sell in because you know I'm into rap. But the idea is very, very simple. Every single day, you need to post something of value to your audience. It doesn't matter if it's a video. It doesn't matter if it's text only. It doesn't matter if it's an image or an animated GIF. It doesn't matter if it's a slide share or an article. I don't care what you're going to post, but at least you post something of value every single day. I believe that text only performs the best in terms of views, but maybe views is not your only goal. Maybe engagement is also your goal. And images engage better than text only. Maybe video is your goal because you want to even go deeper and you don't mind if you only have 100 people see your video every day. And so I do all of it. I'll do a text only post and I'll do text with image. Then I'll do an actual video that I'll upload every single day. And in addition to that, I will share an article that I've written in the past almost every day. I'll share a component of an article that I already have. So I have an arsenal of over 150 articles on my LinkedIn profile. And most people haven't ever written an article on LinkedIn. So I highly recommend you do some type of proactive activity in terms of posting. It doesn't need to take you more than two minutes a day if you're prepared in advance. I say you have to prepare to succeed. You have to prepare, which means you need to build yourself a little bit of an asset library. You got to build yourself a content calendar. Know what you're going to be doing in advance. You don't have to think it through. And that's something that we help people do. We give people the dashboards that they need. We give people the tips, the checklist, the frameworks to be able to do all that. But you can do this yourself. And if you're active and you show people that you're there every single day, you're much more likely to succeed. The second thing that's important to do every day is engage. Most people are in, on LinkedIn, they're lurking. Why? Because they're afraid to take a social risk in a professional platform. I believe that networking is like public speaking. And over 90% of people are more afraid of public speaking than death. As Jerry Seinfeld famously said, people would rather be in the coffin than giving the eulogy. So the idea is, Go out there and engage, like, comment, share, endorse, post, mention. Be engaged in your ideal prospects network and you're going to stay top of mind with them because every single time you leave a comment, 
on my post, I get an email telling me that you left a comment on my post. That's powerful. It goes in my inbox, it goes in my notification, and it pops up on my app. That's powerful. It's three different places that I stay top of mind every single time I like or I comment on something of, of, in, uh, for the people in my network. That's the second thing you need to do is engage. And the third thing you need to do is send messages. Right before we got on this, you sent me a message. The reason I'm on this podcast is because you sent me a message. Send people messages to establish a relationship. And I have a strategy with 20 different types of messages you could send anybody, whether it's a birthday message, whether it's a congratulations message, whether it's a greeting, whether it's feeding, or whether it's meeting. I have all different types of an arsenal of preset messages that you can send people that is not selling. The last thing you want to do is send a really long message to somebody with a bunch of sales pitches. Nobody wants to read that. And 57% of people are logging in from their cell phone. So people don't have a lot of time. They're not going to give a lot of attention to your post. So you want to make sure that you're short, you're clean, you're to the point. And here's another thing you shouldn't do when you're sending messages. Don't write, how are you? That's just annoying. Don't send somebody, how are you? Don't waste people's time, especially if you don't have a close relationship with them. With you, Jacob, I'll send you a how are you because you know I really care about you. But most people that you don't even know who they are, you don't even recognize their name, don't bother to start with how are you. Get straight to the point, add some value, greet them, feed them, and then eventually you can meet them. Amazing. Okay, so let's, let's shift a little bit out of your immediate business uh, expertise and move into something a little bit more lifestyle. You've lost over 100 pounds. I lost 95 pounds 95. over the past, yeah, over the past six years. I have lost the weight and kept it off. Okay, so and, let's talk about that. Yeah, people often ask me, Joe, how'd you lose the weight? And I'd say the answer is very simple, mindset. It's all mindset because if you have the right mindset, you can achieve any result. Any result you want, you can achieve, whether it's results in your relationship, whether it's results in your health, or whether it's results in your business. So for me, I had to have a major mindset shift and it started off with my, with my idea of what food did for me. So it used to be that I thought that if I didn't eat, I would die. I thought that if I didn't eat, I would be unhappy. I thought that if I didn't eat, I would literally not feel any pleasure ever again. I thought that my pleasure came from food. And now I realize my pleasure does not come from food. Although I do enjoy food, my pleasure comes from energy. And the more you eat, the less energy you'll have. You'll find Some people say, what are you talking about? After I eat, I feel energized. Well, the truth is, think about Thanksgiving. How much energy do you have when you finish stuffing your face with that third helping of pumpkin pie? Right. Not too much energy. So I wrote this book called High Energy Secrets, How I Lost the Weight and Kept It Off. And a couple of secrets. Number one, a 5% drop in hydration is a 30% drop in energy. So start off by drinking water. I'm literally drinking right now. Start off by drinking water. How much water should you drink? Drink half of your weight in ounces. If you weigh... 200 pounds, drink 100 ounces a day. They say that fat leaves through your urine. So there's a lot of very interesting statistics around water, and they measured athletes, and they saw that athletes indeed, a 5% drop in hydration is a 30% drop in energy, and people that have headaches, they think they need coffee, they think they need donuts, they think they need chocolate, they think they need sugar, but the reality is you don't need any of that stuff. What you actually need is water. Water, water, water. Have a relationship with water. And most people that I speak to that are overweight say, I hate water, I love Snapple. And that's what was me. They say your body's 80% water. My body used to be 80% Snapple. <laughs> right. So that's the idea. And then, you know, think about the relationship you have with sugar, flour, rice, potatoes, and pasta because that stuff puts your body in fat creation mode instead of fat burn mode. 
So there are certain ingredients that you literally, if you eliminate those ingredients, you eliminate the ability for your body to create fat. And if your body's not creating fat, it's going to be burning fat. So now I think that the, what's also fascinating is as an Orthodox Jew and is also the husband of a, uh, a, a food blogger and a very successful uh, cookbook author, how do you manage that with your relationships? Is your wife not pushing all of these fantastic things that she's making on you? Like how do you, how do you even start that conversation with the, your kids, with your, you know, because again, so much of the, at least the Jewish world is wrapped around all of these, like you said, not pumpkin pie, but the equivalent. Yeah, so there's kugel flying around, there's kishka, there's salami, there's a Hasselback salami flying around. All the things that have tons of sugar, tons of flour, tons of rice, tons of stuff around me. But the reality is if I'm set on my goal and I establish my goal and I share it with my wife, I share it with my kids. My wife has plenty of healthy options. She's always making salads. My kids enjoy eating salads. Every Friday night we have this ritual where we make avocado salad and we make Israeli salad with tahina and hummus. And we have this whole thing that we do as a family and so I have certain healthy rituals that I instituted and my wife makes plenty of healthy options that I can choose from. I don't have to eat all the things that are fattening. So she's part of what she does is she takes food that's a little bit less healthy and she finds ways to make them healthier. And so that's the idea. Instead of smearing tons and tons and tons of fattening things onto the food like sugar and all the other things. She tries to substitute it with healthier options. Was it, was it a difficult conversation or you're saying once you made that mindset shift that everything just kind of followed along? It, for me, it was, it was a very, very big mindset shift, but it was very gradual. It didn't happen all in one day. I first started off with just drinking water instead of Snapple. So that had no effect. Then I stopped eating sugar. And that really didn't really have much of an effect, maybe a little bit of an effect. Then eventually I cut out flour. Then eventually I started cutting out other things. But again, once they see that you're really committed and it's not just a gimmick, once your spouse sees that you're really committed, once your kids see that you're really committed, then they get a whole new level of respect from you. People, dis people don't respect you when you try to say that you're doing one thing, but then you don't do another thing. The reason why I find some people, sometimes people disrespect religious people, it's because they say they're all religious, from one end, because they're looking and dressing a certain way, but then when they speak and then when they behave a certain way in business, it doesn't always match up with what their ideal vision of what a person who's really pious needs to behave in that way. So then they end up getting disrespected because they're not behaving in a respectable way. So the reality is communication is really, really important and understanding what your agreements are. There's a book called The Four Agreements. I don't know if you've ever read that, but there are four major agreements. And the first one is be impeccable with your word which means you have to be able to keep your word. If you don't have integrity with your word, without integrity, nothing has power. You don't have power as a human being. You got to keep your word. The second thing is don't make any assumptions. I don't assume that people are upset if I don't eat their food or if I don't eat all their food. As long as I have the right agreements and I keep my word and I say the things that I should be saying in the way that I should be saying them in a way that they could understand it with empathy and connection and love, then I can have a deep, meaningful, intimate connection with whoever I'm dealing with. And the third thing is never take anything personally. So if somebody does get upset at me, they're not really getting upset at me. Maybe they're getting upset at the behavior. Maybe get, they're getting upset at the things that I reminded them of. Don't, don't take things personally. When somebody curses at you or yells at you or treats you a certain way, maybe they're being rude because they're having something going on in their life. It's usually not about me. So don't take anything personally. And then the last thing is always give your best. So for me, I'm always trying to give my 10 times more than whatever I'm getting paid for. In his book, Think and Grow Rich, Napoleon Hill talks about one of the success measures is always do more than you're paid for. So for me, I'm always trying to do much more than I'm paid for. 
And that's how my success keeps it compounding. That's unbelievable. So one, one thing that, that I find interesting and that I like to sort of dig into a little bit with my guests is that it seems that you've made a couple of quantum leaps, even though it's been over a, a longer period of time, was, are, are the seeds of the change that you have kind of implanted from childhood from a, from a Jewish perspective, I guess is the question, or were you influenced to make major changes in your life? I know that you're a big fan of Tony Robbins. Like what, what influences really do you feel as the created the major seismic shifts in how you see business, health, relationships, mindset, et cetera? I think everybody in life goes through a journey and we start off the way we start off with whatever we know. You know what you know and you know what you don't know and you don't know what you don't even know you don't know. So we're all traveling at the speed of light, just trying to make things happen and consistently changing and morphing and transforming. And for me, it was really about business because I always watched my mother struggle to make a living and for me, like my main thing was like, I need to make money. I need to make sure that my kids are okay. I need to make sure that my wife is okay. I need to make sure that I have a home and that I could pay for everything and that I never have these issues. And when I made the money and I got to the end of the yellow brick road and I had a multi-million dollar business, I realized this is not the answer. There's got to be something else because I'm majorly overweight. I'm not happy with myself. I'm afraid of public speaking. I'm afraid of my own shadow. My photo on Facebook is a picture of a cat. Like, that, that's who I was. That's who I was. I was a successful Usually that's guy. always rock bottom is when you have to make a cat your Facebook photo. That's, that's usually, you know, you have to check in for that one. Yeah. So for me, I was like, I was afraid of networking. I was afraid of writing. I was, I was not expressing myself properly. And I was frustrated. So at that point, you know, I have all the beautiful, I have a beautiful religion. I have everything that I need in my life, my wife, my kids, my, I have my money, my business, but I'm not satisfied. I'm not fulfilled. I'm not complete as they call it. And so I had to start going on this journey to try to figure out what's going to make me feel complete or as some people call it happy, right? But the reality is you'll never be happy. So at least be complete. I'm not even saying be content, be complete. Know that you're coming from a place of completion where you start, you finish, and you can literally be present. So, so I, I, I want to I flush that out a little bit, this idea of completeness. So you're saying that if you look at areas, meaning a lot of times people don't know what their potential might look like. But what your sounds to me is that if you can start to isolate areas in your life where you for sure know you could get better at that. For example, like you said, you're, I don't know what afraid of your shadow means per se, but you, you know, the fear of public speaking, the fear of putting your stuff out there, the, the fear of losing weight or how you felt about yourself. So those are areas, I guess, where you could say that those are symbols or, or clear areas where you aren't complete. So you're going to want to try to fill those holes in first. Is that, is that fair to say? I think it's more around getting okay with who you are and being okay with the past that you have. A lot of us have resentment about the past. A lot of it have regrets. A lot of us are not okay where we are. We should be a lot further along. You know, life should have been different or you feel a sense of entitlement or a sense of cynicism or a sense of resignation. And instead, being able to be all in in the moment and realizing that I'm pretty complete with who I am. I'm pretty perfect right now with all my imperfections. This is who I am. All my flaws make me who I am. And being able to focus on the positive things in your life, coming from a place like that, you realize that everything is okay. Everything is okay and you don't have to worry because you are fine the way that you are. Now, coming from that place, wanting more, 
wanting to create more, wanting better health, wanting a better relationship, wanting to make more money, wanting to make a bigger difference, wanting to live on purpose, wanting to be more spiritual, from that place is much more powerful than saying, well, I'm not good enough today, so I need to go and become better because you'll never be good enough. That's what completion is all about. Completion is realizing that you are okay and perfect the way that you are today, and if you want to be able to take yourself to the next level, come from a place of completion because you cannot love somebody else unless you first love yourself. So that's the shift. The shift is it's immaterial what I actually accomplish. What matters is first of all, how I see myself and see how I show up. And then retroactively, then I can then build on whatever skill sets, but it's not gonna, the skill sets are not gonna make me happy or complete. And, and the, that's gonna be a mindset that, again, now the, the obvious question would be, did that like come to you in like a vision, in a dream? Did you suddenly just look at yourself and you're like, I'm not gonna be resentful anymore? Like, how did that shift happen? Awareness, there's an idea called awareness. Most of us are not aware. We're not aware of our thought processes. We're not aware of our life. We're not aware of what we want. We're not aware, we're just not aware human beings. And the more aware you can become, the more human you become, the more, the closer you are to being able to be able to make a difference for yourself and for the people around you. So the word is awareness. Now, what is awareness? Someone that doesn't have awareness cannot see awareness. You can't just give somebody awareness. It's something that has to be discovered on your own. And the way that I discovered awareness is a combination of seminars, a combination of books, a combination of coaches, a combination of life experiences and failures. So if you take all the combination of all the things that happened and all the things that I've gone through and all the conversations and the journaling and the books and the meditations and everything together, that's what gives you that epiphany, that awareness. It's kind of like saying, how do you break a rock? How do you cut a really big rock? Well, the way that you can cut a rock is you can either drop the rock and it'll become rock bottom and crack into many pieces. But if you want to crack it perfectly in half, you got to take a chisel and a hammer. You got to find the place you want to crack it. And then you got to start banging. And somewhere between 5,000 and 10,000 bangs, the rock will crack perfectly, evenly, and it'll be beautiful. But you just got to sit there and start hacking it and hacking it and hacking it. And that's kind of like what you have to do with your life. You got to read one book at a time. You got to go deep. You got to find the right coach. You got to find the right mentors. You got to go to the right seminars. You got to journal. You got to exercise. You got to meditate. You got to do all the right things, build the right habits and beliefs, and the awareness will come to you. Uh, two final questions. Do you find that there is a, an ideal time to get started? Because I think that a lot of times what you're saying, this develop, this, the sense of self. So on one end, it's like you started dealing with this once you had achieved a certain level of success in your business. I'm assuming you're already married and a father by the time that you had this kind of a, a, a realization. So a lot of times, you know, in the, in the world that we live in today, most people are on the, you know, want to figure themselves out before they get married and, and trying to go on the self-discovery um, process could be, uh, you know, at least very concerning because you might have married someone based on who you were and not who you ideally want to be. So is there ever a, a bad time to start this or should a person just start where they are? I always tell people that it's not about even starting. It's not about even starting. It's more about being than starting. People think that they're going to get somewhere and become something. You don't become anything. You just have to be. You just have to be who you are. You already are who you are. And the reason why you're chemically attracted to somebody else is because they will heal your wounds where you are right now and also where you will be in the future. So whoever, like God made our bodies and our minds and our emotions so that we're sexually attracted to a certain type of individual. You're not attracted to all people. You're not all attracted to all all types of people. You're attracted to a very certain type. And sometimes you're attracted to someone who treats you really, really badly. 
And everyone else is like, what, what's up with you? Like, why are you into this person? Because that's the type of person that's going to heal your wounds. And no matter what anybody else tells you, you don't see any flaws in them. And it's perfectly obvious that because they're yelling at you, screaming at you, calling you names, and you're still sexually attracted to that. Why? And the answer is because that is the person who will heal your wounds or, or destroy you further if you're not aware of that. They'll destroy you even further. And that's why people marry one person and then they go to the second person and the third person and fourth person and fifth person. And they don't realize the one common denominator they have is them. Right. And you don't have to change at all. All you have to do is become aware and be more present and realize that if you're feeling uncomfortable, it's an action signal. There's an action signal. And if you don't want to change, that's fine. You're just going to keep getting that same action signal. Some people call it pain. Some people call it discomfort. Some people call it frustration. Some people call it loneliness. But it's an action signal. You might feel guilt. You might feel anger. By the way, anger is really passion. Every single emotion that you feel has its positive side and has its negative side. Loneliness just means that you need to have more contribution in your life. Anger just means that you have a tremendous amount of passion for something. So every single thing that you have in your life is an action signal for you to be able to take your life to the next level. And you can take it to the next level or you can just suffer because suffering is pain without purpose. So I always tell people, find a purpose to your pain. Make it mean something to you and then use it to grow more muscle. And that's really the key. The key is to consistently grow take our life, take our business, take our relationships, take our health to the next level. What is the next level? That's very individual because success, success like achievement is, is what they call a science. That's what achievement is, right? You want to go to X, somebody else did it. You can literally copy what they did and you can get to that. But feeling fulfilled, feeling real success is nothing to do with achievement. It's very individual. So for me, I want to help 1,000 hungry entrepreneurs go from frustration to motivation. Somebody else will look at them and be like, what? That's what's going to fulfill you? I just want to sit in an ice cream store and eat ice cream. Like, what's wrong with you? Somebody else will be like, 1,000? I want to help 20 million people be able to climb Mount Everest. I don't know, whatever. Whatever this person wants to do. Every person has a different appetite and a different reason and a different motive. And I believe that everything happens for a reason. But I also believe that you get to choose the reason why it happens. Outstanding. Um, Joe, what's the, what's the best way for people to reach out to be in touch with you? And, and you know, one thing that I keep thinking is, is it's amazing that you have so many different focuses. And I know what you just mentioned about helping frustrated entrepreneurs go to motivated. Um, what, is that what makes you the most excited going forward? Like if I would ask you, you know, like now that you've reached this place in your life with your health and your business and, and your sense of contribution and purpose, what, what's next for you? And then also if you can tell us how we can find you and uh, follow you. So if you want to know what's next for me, go to socialselling.com because that's really my focus. I want to help like a million people be able to become better at social selling over the next decade. So that's, I have a system that I'm building and I'm very passionate about that. In terms of the thousand hungry entrepreneurs that want to go from frustration to motivation, if you go to my LinkedIn page, if you go to joelinkedin.com and you find my LinkedIn page and you go to my summary, you're going to see a series of links where you can watch webinars, you can sign up to my email newsletter on my website, you can check out my motivation group where I have 530 entrepreneurs that watch me every day, motivate them. I have a whole series of stuff. You can follow me on Instagram and on Facebook and I go live every single day. So what I want to do is I want to know what's frustrating you. Where are you stuck? And how can I use 
the, the tools and the techniques that I have to help you get unstuck. So follow me, message me, call me, email me, text me, DM me. I'm here to add value. Amazing. Joe, thank you so much. I appreciate it. There you have it, folks. Another inspiring episode. If you enjoyed this, I ask you to please share this with your friends and to like us over on Rabbi Rupp through Facebook or on YouTube. And the more that we're able to get these important messages out, the more that we can really make an impact in the world. So I encourage you, please, to stay tuned. Uh, We have a ton of amazing speakers coming up and also to tell your friends about it. Thank you very much.